Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Why is it that the press, the media, you know, to a large extent, and so many politicians, including Democratic politicians, say that it's a centrist position to say that there's no way that we can have free health care for all Americans. There's no way we can have free college education for all Americans. And there's no way we can fund a Green New Deal. Why is that centrist? These are positions that more than, well, more than half, in the case of health care, more than 70%. In the case of free education, well over 65% of all Americans support. So if you're just looking at it like a mathematician, you know, okay, it's not a plurality, it's a majority. More than half of Americans want Medicare for all, want free college for all. Very straightforward stuff and, 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 and frankly would, would like a Green New Deal. Now the details of the Green New Deal are not really clear enough. The public polling on that is really all that accurate because we haven't had much of a public debate about it. But then into this confusion steps Howard Schultz. If you want to see, if you want to see Donald Trump reelected as president, then throw some money into a Howard Schultz campaign, right? This guy, he says he's a Democrat for life. He's the, he came in as CEO of Starbucks. Uh, not sure if he bought it or not, but you know how the whole story. But anyhow, he came into Starbucks when it, you know it was a little company with a hundred employees and and just a couple of stores. They didn't even sell coffee by the cup. They sold beans, coffee beans. And he came in and he built this into a worldwide empire. And, you know, good on him. And we, we need to acknowledge that. You know, it was a great effort. And he's been largely socially progressive. But, but this whole thing of, well, I'm socially progressive, but fiscally conservative. What the hell does that mean? Why is it that every developed country in the world, you look at the 30, 34 Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development countries, the 34 OECD countries, the 34 countries, and, and this includes countries as small as Costa Rica, the 34 countries who are the most developed functioning 
democracies in the world. You look at those 34 countries, and 33 of them have health care as a right for all their citizens. Switzerland has a system. It's not government-run, it's, but it's entirely nonprofit. To be a hospital in Switzerland, you have to be nonprofit. To be a health insurance company in Switzerland, you have to be nonprofit. So, you know, they run very much like a government would, you know, where the first mission is not to maximize shareholder value. The first mission is to provide the needed service to the people who are customers. Switzerland is kind of the outlier among the 30 OECD countries. Every other one of those countries has a program that the government runs. Now, some of them, like the UK's National Health Service, the government actually owns the hospitals and employs the doctors. With systems like Canada's or France's, the government doesn't own hospitals and doesn't employ doctors. Instead, they just write the checks. They pay the bills. They play the role of health insurance company. It's what happens here in the United States with Medicare and Medicaid. These are called single-payer systems. We have one here. We also have a socialized medicine system in the United States. The Trump administration and Republicans for years and years have been doing everything they can to take it apart and to damage it. It's called the Veterans Administration or the VA program, right, in the Veterans Administration Hospital. This is socialized medicine. But now Howard Schultz is coming along, and he's got a book out, so he's doing his book tour. And the, the question in my mind is, is he just doing this to jack sales of his book? Or is he doing this because he's seriously considering a run for president, which is essentially what he said on 60 Minutes last night. And by the way, the guy that he's hired to manage his PR is Steve Schmidt. Steve Schmidt, the guy, you know, who used to run the John McCain campaign? Well, when he ran the John McCain campaign, he was actually working for this massive public relations company. It's called Edelman. Schmidt got to know Schultz through Edelman's partnership with Starbucks, writes Brian Schwartz over at CNBC. So Edelman is a PR company that Schwartz had hired to promote Starbucks, and Schmidt worked for back when John McCain hired them. In October, Schultz also hired Cheryl Cook, longtime executive vice president at Edelman. Again, the guys who ran John McCain's campaign are now working with Howard Schultz. If you recall, in the 2000 election, Ralph Nader got more votes in Florida than, I mean, he got, what, 97,000 votes, as I recall? Maybe it was 79,000. It was something like that. Less than, fewer than 100,000, but certainly more than the 500 or so that George W. Bush claimed he won Florida by. The subsequent recount showed that actually Al Gore won Florida by at least 500 or 1,000 votes, depending on whether you counted intention of the voter and all that kind of stuff. So we know that the Supreme Court stole the election in 2000 from Al Gore and gave it to George W. Bush. Had Ralph Nader not been in that race, there wouldn't, you know, they couldn't have stolen Florida. So political strategists from both sides of the aisle say that by enlisting the help of this PR team, that's Steve Schmidt and uh, Cheryl Cook, that Schultz is clearly signaling that he's exploring a run for president. And then he says, uh, this is what he said on 60 Minutes, he says, every American deserves the right to have access. Access is the magic word here, right? We all have access to quality health care. If you're bleeding, you can show up at an emergency room. That's a law that Ronald Reagan got passed through Congress in 1986, as I recall. Hospital emergency rooms can't turn you down. So right now, all Americans have access to quality health care under certain circumstances, like if they're bleeding. 
So anyhow, back to Howard Schultz. He says, every American deserves the right to have access to quality health care. But what the Democrats are proposing is something that is as false as the wall, and that is free health care for all, which the country cannot afford. If we can't afford it, why are we paying an extra half a trillion dollars a year in profit margin to giant insurance companies like United Healthcare and Aetna to manage it for us. I mean, if we can't afford it, why are we, why are we letting them skim 10, 20% off the top of every healthcare dollar spent in America? Or virtually every. Why are we letting the drug companies rip us off when other countries don't allow them to rip them off? Why are we promoting for-profit hospitals which are skimming money off the top like there's no tomorrow when other countries require hospitals to be not-for-profits? Why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this very simply because our political class including people like Howard Schultz, have been wholly bought and paid for by the billionaires who own the health insurance companies or run the health insurance companies, people like Stephen Hemsley of United Healthcare, and the billionaires who own and run the hospitals, people like Rick Scott down in Florida, who owned one of the biggest hospital chains until he was busted for fraud and had to pay a hundred multi-hundred million dollar fine. So he took his hundreds of millions of dollars and went off and become game governor of Florida. Now he's the senator. This is how they do it. They end up owning politicians. And then once they own the politicians, what do they do? Well, here's an example. Jordan Barab uh, writing for uh, Raw Story. This is from the DC report. You ever heard of beryllium? Beryllium is a metal. It's part of the periodic table. It's a metal. It is poisonous. It's in the cadmium kind of part of the, there's a word for that part of the periodic table. And like cadmium, it causes cancer. It's a carcinogen. And in this report, they tell the story of this one guy. His name is Wardell Davis. He was 24 years old, and for a year, he worked at a Navy contractor where they were blasting coal dust off ships that had hauled this coal slag. And that blasting produced enormous amounts of beryllium in the air, which he inhaled. A couple of years later, the guy is dying. Can't breathe. Beryllium poisoning. So the Obama administration put forward a plan to tighten that. It became the rules. This is OSHA's standard to protect workers from the disabling and deadly effects of beryllium exposure. They've been working on this new standard for 20 years. It was an agreement between the main beryllium producer, Materion, and the United Steelworkers, who want this protection for their union members. It's going to cost the industry about $12 million a year, about $1,000 a worker to prevent workers from ending up with cancer, lung cancer, deadly, painful lung cancer. And who's leading the charge to weaken the protections? A congressman by the name of Bradley Byrne, Republican from Alabama. He's chair of the Subcommittee on Workforce Protection, or he was until the Democrats came in. He wrote to the U.S. Office of Management and Budget, asking them to weaken the workers' protections. The article, quote, much of Byrne's letter was taken word for word from comments submitted by the ABMA's lobbying firm, Squire Patton Boggs. Former senior partner at Patton Boggs is a guy named Mark Cohen. He was the head of OSHA under Reagan. And he's advising Byrne and Robert Whitman, the Republican from Virginia, in how to do away with these workplace protections so that the companies can save $1,000 per worker and the workers can end up with lung cancer. This all increases GDP, right? Because when somebody gets cancer, that increases GDP. It's a half million dollar diagnosis for the hospitals, for the insurance companies, for the doctors, for everybody, you know. Economic activity increases when you get cancer, don't you know? 
We're talking about Howard Schultz, a guy who is a billionaire who could fund his own campaign. And the Supreme Court has ruled that if somebody funds their own a campaign, they can put unlimited amounts of money into it. So this guy could, if he chose to, he could divert a couple hundred million dollars. You know, Ross Perot did this back in 1992 and took 20% of the vote. Now, there are some who think that Ross Perot made Bill Clinton president. There are others who think that Ross Perot, had he not been in the race, Bill Clinton would have won even bigger. I mean, it's, it's hard to know because Ross Perot was a single issue candidate and both Bush and Clinton were in favor of NAFTA. And of course, Ross Perot was all about no NAFTA. So what would Howard Schultz be all about? We don't know. Certainly not health care for all. What would Michael Bloomberg, another billionaire who wants to run for president, be all about? Probably not health care for all. So in addition to this, now, this is like the conundrum, right? If you are running for president as a Democrat, or if you're supporting somebody who's running for president as a Democrat, the time is going to come when some really hard decisions have to be made. You've got the Koch brothers pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into the political system. You've got polluting industries, the Exxon Mobiles of the world, the Koch industries of the world, pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into election campaigns. You've got the NRA funneling money from Russia into camp. You know, it's just, it's just like there's all these sources of right-wing money, the gun industry, the coal industry, the fossil fuel industry, all these sources of right-wing money. And on the left, you know, you've pretty much got the banksters. They're pretty much the largest industry in America who's still supporting Democrats occasionally. This fascinating piece over at Politico, Wall Street freaks out about 2020 is the headline. Wall, top Wall Street executives would love to be rid of President Trump, but they're panicked about the prospect of an ultra-liberal Democrat who might raise taxes and slap regulations on them. They are pining for a centrist nominee like Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg isn't a centrist. If he's not supportive of free college education and health care for all, those are the centrist positions. Those are the middle America positions. If he's not supporting those, he's a radical right-wing Democrat. One CEO says, I'm socially liberal, fiscally conservative. I'd love to vote for a rational Democrat. So, so far... The Democratic candidates who've met with Wall Street banksters, Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Kamala Harris, and John Hickenlooper and Beto O'Rourke. The banker's biggest fear, the nomination goes to an anti-Wall Street crusader like Elizabeth Warren. It can't be Warren. It can't be Sanders, said the CEO of another giant bank. It has to be someone who's centrist. Robert Wolf, an investment banker and fundraiser for Obama, echoed that sentiment. Booker, Harris, and Gillibrand have all taken meetings or made calls to top Democrats on Wall Street gauging potential financial support. But news of these reports draws swift media backlash. So what do you do? I mean, if you're going to need the support of the banksters to run for president, do you take their money and then turn on them? Do you not take their money and be pure? I, you know, I'm inclined to think that you can actually run for president and not take their money. I may be wrong. I may be naive. But I think it's still possible. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen 
in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one 888 own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Fair and only slightly unbalanced. Tom Hartman here with you speaking the truth to the multinational corporations. Really around you didn't know about. On the line with us is Senator Bernie Sanders, representing the great state of Vermont, the United States Senate. Senator Sanders, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Tom. It is always great. So great having you on, Bernie. Senator, you and I have talked for years about the Koch brothers and David Koch running for vice president in 1980 and on a platform of basically stripping the federal government down to nothing. And there have been a number of right wing writers in some of the more prominent, actually, you know, high visibility, high credibility, conservative publications who have suggested that what Trump is doing really has very little to do with the wall. And they're praising him for it, that this is proof of concept that after a month of having the federal government shut down, we look back and say, you know, we really didn't need all those interior employees. We really didn't need the EPA doing that Mm -hmm. stuff. We really didn't need the FDA or the USDA. We can privatize all those things very easily now. Trump has proven that this works. You know, there's this debate going on. Rachel Maddow is kind of insinuating on TV that Trump might be doing this on behalf of Putin. And obviously, you know, damaging the United States is something that seems to be, you know, one of his interests. So is it, well, is I, it Putin? Is it the um, billionaires? I mean, what's going on? Well, here, I think the point you're making, I wouldn't go to Putin and Russia, but I think the point you're making is a very good point. Let us understand that what the Koch brothers and these extreme right-wing people believe is that, by and large, government is an evil. They don't believe in Social Security. They don't believe in Medicare. They don't believe in Medicaid. They don't believe in public education. That is the philosophy of these right-wing libertarians. So if your point is, and I did a little bit of writing on this, I think, last week, that one of the motives, I, I think there are many motives for Trump's action here. I think the wall and, and appealing to his base certainly is one of them. But the other idea of saying that, look, we can significantly, we can lay off hundreds of thousands of federal employees. We can make working for the federal government extremely unattractive. What young person, what bright young person graduating college this year is going to be running to work for the federal government? when you see this contempt for federal employees. So I agree with you. I think certainly part of the motive here is to move toward the privatization of essential services that have historically been done by the government and give more power to corporate interest over the lives of Americans. I do believe that that is part of what's going on. Do you think it might backfire that this event might be causing Americans to realize how important our federal workforce is? Or do you think that that like these conservatives are suggesting in places like the National Review that, as I recall, that, you know, people will then understand how irrelevant these federal workers are? Yeah, well, they're not going to feel that federal employees are relevant when they are not confident that when you're getting on a plane, the safety standards, the security standards 
are where they should be. Or when you are sitting down with your hamburger tonight, that maybe that meat has not been inspected or your salad has not been inspected. But I think in addition to all of that, I think it is clear that a Donald Trump who campaigned, as you may recall, as a friend of working people, I think the average American is going to say, you know, you are not a friend of anybody when you treat 800,000 federal workers and many, many contract employees with the kind of contempt that you imagine. And what we are seeing is that Trump and Wilbur Ross and these other billionaires, they have no idea what it is like for people to live paycheck to paycheck. No idea what it is like when you are not getting paid and you got a mortgage coming up or you got to put food on the table for your kids. What does it say? So I think that this is backfiring in general. I do. I think for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, relatively few people in the country think you shut down the government over a wall. And I think increasingly they see what a cruel and irresponsible President Trump is. Senator, I know you have to run. Just one last question. What can we do? What can people who are listening or watching this program right now do to support you and your efforts and to support the efforts of the rest of the caucus? All right. I think the answer is, is really quite simple. The truth of the matter is, and the heart of this issue from a political point of view is, Tom, is the Republicans have got to, in the Congress, Republicans have got to have the guts to stand up to Trump. Uh, There was a Republican caucus where it got very heated because not only did six Republicans end up standing up to Trump and they're voting with us, but a lot more expressed anger to the vice president and who was there. Yeah. Amen. Senator Bernie Sanders. Senator, thank you so much for dropping by today. The door is always open. Keep us up to date on how everything's going, please. Great, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Senator. Great talking with you. It's always nice to have a little injection of sanity here from our elected officials. Ray in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hey, Ray, what's on your mind today? I want to reflect back on the Trump fraudulent presidency. And there's a figure that hasn't come up in my estimation is probably the one person you can blame for this whole mess in the first place. Talking about the RNC's endorsement of him as a candidate. Of course, a lot of people wonder, why did they take him seriously in the first place? Right. Now, if my memory serves me correctly... The whole story about Paul Manafort came out while Trump was still a nominee, still a candidate. He didn't have the nomination yet. Right. It came in in the middle of the summer of 2016. Well, as soon as Manafort was given the job of head of the Trump campaign, right, uh, you know, right. word came and out it, that Manafort had spent the last 15, 20 years working for hardcore right-wing dictators around the world in Ukraine and other places. Yes, and as soon as it came out that he had connections to Russia, they got rid of him right away. Yeah. That should have sent up a red flag right then, and I don't believe that Trump had the nomination yet. My question is, why didn't the RNC investigate that? They should have said, wait a minute. Yeah. What is this connection to Russia? That should have been a warning sign right there. I agree. And, but, the, you know, everybody was so, you know, on the right, everybody was so in love with Donald Trump. He was this truth teller. He was like Bullworth. He said to Jeb Bush, your brother was a terrible president. He lied us into the war in Iraq. And, you know, all over the country, people were going, yay, 
hey, you know, the stupid war in Afghanistan, we don't need that. And we've got to cut taxes for working people and raise taxes on wealthy people like me. I mean, these are actually things he said. Everybody in the United States should have health care and it should be less expensive than under Obamacare. We're going to do that. It's absurd and obscene that China is now the world's largest consumer economy or will be in the next few months. And if you're Chinese, you walk into any store in China and everything you see is made in China in that store. But if you walk into any store in the United States, everything you see in the United States in that store is not made in the United States. It's made in China. This was the result of 40 years of neoliberal policies that were kicked off by Ronald Reagan and have not been stopped by any other president since then, Democratic or Republican. And Trump promised to stop them. And people that I know who voted Democratic for years and years voted for Donald Trump because of that. And a lot of people who watch Fox News and listen to Right Wing Hate Radio think that he's actually doing these things successfully. In fact, he's shooting himself in the foot. He's hurting us all. But it's like there is this profound reality that Trump, even though he was lying through his teeth, he did not intend to fulfill any of these promises that Trump was saying things that a lot of Americans knew were actually true. And that's why they voted for him. Now, we now know that, you know, he was a truth telling liar. But this is where we're at, Ray. Well, that was the people's reaction, but my question, though, goes back to the RNC. They didn't show any particular concern about even the slightest hint about a connection to Russia. That was even confirmed by a remark that Eric made out on the convention floor about them getting their money from Russia. So the whole thing of it is, as far as I'm concerned, my theory is, my opinion is, it goes right back to Rance Priebus. You can thank him for Donald Trump being in the White House. Yeah, I, well, I can't dispute that. Because who was Donald Trump's first chief of staff? Rents Priebus, and he was out of there in a month. Yeah, and that would have been a political payback for, hey, thanks for shepherding my nomination through. Makes right. sense. so he was an enabler, so the question is, what did he get out of it? Yeah, that's a very good question. Ray, I don't know the answer to it, but it's a very good question. Thanks a lot for the call. Mary in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. Hi. I just want to let you know, a friend of mine... Her husband works for the FBI, and if they miss their mortgage payment, he loses his security clearance. Yep. This raises one of the most interesting conspiracy theories around, which is that Donald Trump didn't do this because he wants a wall. The wall was an excuse. He didn't do it because he's trying to break government on behalf of the Koch brothers. He did it because he wants to destroy the FBI, because the FBI is investigating him. Totally. Yeah. And not just the FBI, it's also our spies. It's our State Department. I mean, you know, the really critical functions that have been irritating Donald Trump, the 19 intelligence agency, I think it is, maybe 17, all the intelligence agencies came out and said, yep, the Russians worked to put Trump in office. That really pissed him off. You know, he's very upset about that. And so he's taking them down right now. The FBI comes out and seriously, you know, opens an investigation into whether Donald Trump is working for a foreign power. You know, is he dancing to Putin's tune? I mean, they opened that investigation right after he became president, right after the election. And apparently that investigation is still going on. He doesn't want that investigation to happen. So shut down the government, cut off the funding for the FBI. I don't think that that's a coincidence. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's a mistake. I think that personally... I subscribe to the conspiracy theory that Trump wants to break the FBI. Whether it is that he initially started this shutdown in order to break the FBI, or whether it was just an impulse, whether it was a whim, whether it was Sean Hannity telling him to do it because he had some grand chessboard political thing in his mind, I don't know. And I'm reluctant to suggest that 
He did it to break the FBI, but now he has realized, hey, you know, one of the things out of this is that we get this ruin the morale of the intelligence services and the police agencies of the United States that just happen to be looking into the Trump organization. What do you think, Mary? I think part of it is also that by getting rid of their security clearances, they can't investigate. Exactly. They can't get the... Uh, trying to think of how to... How well, they to can't look at the they intelligence can't. that might indicate that Trump was colluding or his campaign was colluding because they no longer have the security clearance to look at that raw intelligence. Yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Mary, thank you for the call and thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. Uh, and when neighbors whose spouses work for the FBI are telling their neighbors, my husband may lose their security clearance because we miss a mortgage payment, it's getting real. It's getting very real. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Bill in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hi, thank you for taking my call. I just have a very quick question. One thing the president has access to is all the top secret military technology of the United States. And when you have a rogue like Trump, is there anything to prevent him from divulging and using that information for his own personal financial gain after he leaves office? To the best of my knowledge, there is not, Bill. Yeah, because he can give that information to Putin or, you know, use it in any way that yeah. is conceivable. I mean, that's a serious concern. It is. It is a very serious concern. The idea that the guy running our country right now might be doing so incompetently is alarming. The idea that he might be doing it with a secondary agenda of damaging the country on behalf of right-wing libertarian billionaires is even more troubling. And the idea that he might be doing it on behalf of a foreign country is screamingly troubling. Bernie kind of rejected the third. I'm inclined not to think that that's what he's doing. I think that he's motivated by business interests. You know, he's going to make two, three hundred million dollars if he could build that Trump Tower in Moscow. So I think that that's probably what's leading him rather than Putin saying, hey, Donald, uh, break the government, please. But, you know, go figure. I mean, I think he's breaking the government in part because it shuts down the FBI and it shuts down the court right. system and it will shut down the investigation into Donald Trump. Plus, it allows him to capture the news cycle every day. So word about Mueller isn't coming out and Absolutely. things like that. But that top secret information, you know, he can walk around and have access to anything he wants. Well, and now he's got 30 people in the White House who the FBI said don't give security clearances to these people. And this one guy that they brought in, you know, a couple months after Trump was inaugurated, this one guy that they brought in named Klein has given security clearances, top secret security clearances to 30 people that the FBI said these people should not have access to top secret and sensitive information. And that's going on right this minute. Bill, thanks for the call. Dan in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Dan, what's up? It's an honor to speak with you. Thank you. So you and I are, for the most part, on the same page, but I know you're not going to agree with me on this one. We just need to write it out with this current president, because we know what we're dealing with. If they impeach President Trump and Pence becomes president, we have no idea what we're dealing with. And I think, honestly, Pence is a bigger wingnut than Trump is. Pence would like to see all civil rights rolled back. He'd like to see homosexuals pushed back into the closet, take away civil rights for minorities. 
I just think that... Oh, and women's issues. Start Get started on women's issues with Pence. Exactly. I mean, you, know, you know things are bad. I will agree with you 100%. You know things are bad when you miss Bush, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, but, you'll, you'll notice that I have not so much been calling for the impeachment of Trump as for the annulment of the election and the removal of both Trump and Pence for fraud, or maybe some other basis. I don't know. But, you know, it, it certainly seems to me that this was a fraudulent election on so many different levels. I mean, so many different things happened that point to intentional fraud. And Roger Stone is right at the center of an awful lot of it. But I share your concern, Dan. Pence could be actually more dangerous and destructive to America than Donald Trump because he's competent. He actually served in Congress. And he used to be a right-wing talk show host before that. That's how he got to Congress, you know, was these uh, billionaires and their networks of radio, right-wing radio. He catapulted right through that. And he's dangerous to democracy. Don't you just love it when something that's already amazing gets better? Well, that's the case with the X chair. The makers have taken what is arguably the most comfortable and supportive office chair in the world and made it even better by introducing wider seats in the X3 and X4 models of the X chair. That means extra support for those of us with wider bases. The good people at X chair are constantly innovating to help improve your working comfort and productivity. And now you can finance the purchase of your X chair for as little as $30 a month. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee, you can make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever by getting yourself an X chair. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com, or call 1-844-4X chair. X chair comes with a 30 day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, and get a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com. Just a quick recap on what's going on. When you're remembering that Stone was indicted, remember that it was Roger Stone who took down Al Frank, and it was Roger Stone who took down Elliot Spitzer. Client 9 is the movie about that. It's a brilliant documentary. You can watch it on Hulu and Amazon. And Client 9 documents how Roger Stone was hired by an angry New York billionaire that Elliot Spitzer was prosecuting or investigating specifically to take down Spitzer. And Stone committed a number of federal crimes in the process of doing that, brags about them in the documentary, which documents Stone's crimes. Stone was Manafort's business partner back in the 80s. They worked on the Reagan re-election campaign in 1984 together. Stone Manafort was part of the name of the firm. The Stone Manafort had hired Lee Atwater, and they put together the Willie Horton ads in 88 for George Herbert Walker Bush for Junior. But he also took down Al Franken. After Al Franken took down Jeff Sessions by grilling him about his Russia conflicts, Roger Stone was clearly pissed off about this because Mueller got appointed as a result of the way that Franken was interrogating Jeff Sessions. He forced Sessions to recuse himself, and therefore we got Mueller. Stone was upset about that, and he tweeted that Al Franken's time in the barrel was coming. And shortly thereafter, allegations of sexual harassment against Franken, as Tommy Carsetti writes on DU, centering on a decades-old joke photograph and a few other vague accusations arise. Right. Oh, and the other thing is, you know, you'll remember that the day that WikiLeaks, apparently in coordination with Roger Stone, October 7th of 2016, the day that WikiLeaks dropped the first batch of John Podesta emails, was the same day that the Access Hollywood tape came out, October 7th, 2016. So the Access Hollywood tape comes out, inhales, consumes the news media news cycle, 
And so immediately WikiLeaks, the Julian Assange and company, releases this thing. I've been asking the question, now that it looks like fairly clear that the Trump presidency only exists as a consequence of a criminal conspiracy, is it possible that the Clinton campaign or any American could sue for fraud before the Supreme Court and have Trump and Pence basically removed from office, which would put Nancy Pelosi into the White House or Hillary and Tim Kaine? I don't know, but it's something worth examining and questioning. And, you know, nobody has called to contest this and say, no, that's not possible. The RNC, by the way, their resolutions committee just passed a uh, unanimous resolution to say that they're not going to have a primary this year. Donald Trump is going to be their nominee. It's getting weird. It's getting very, very weird. Elizabeth Warren has proposed a tax on wealth owned. If you own more than $50 million worth of assets, Every year, she wants the government to take a little piece out of that, 1% or 2%. I think that that's a great idea. We've got to do something about this. So we'll pick up your phone calls here. Steve in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Hey, Steve, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Hey. What's up? Hey, Tom, how are you? A long-time listener, first-time caller. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, nice segue with the Senator Warren. We took note of her offer and, and thought that maybe we could talk to you about up in the ante a little bit. She certainly is correct about money and politics, and I know you more than anybody has talked about the damage that it continually does to us. Last fall, we put up a website, and the website for you and for your listeners is whywouldyouvote.com, whywouldyouvote.com. And up on that website, Tom, what we've done is we've asked everybody to answer a very, very simple question for us and maybe to take a look at this issue, and that's this. Why would you ever vote for a rich person? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I see. Tom, I'm looking at your website. Why would you ever vote for a rich person in the conversation? Let's start a con- That's fascinating. That's cool. I think we're never going to break Citizens United with a vote. And I don't think Elizabeth can get this bill passed with the makeup. And she talks about changing the structure. But to change the structure, you have to change the people. Yeah. So bottom line is, and I think AOC is right, and I think the Democrats have partially proved it with the amount of people we've put out there who have not taken corporate money, that we don't need corporate money to elect people, and we basically don't need rich people to represent us. There you go. I agree. Steve, thanks for the heads up on that, and uh, I'll tweet your website out when I get off the air. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. It's great to hear from you. Maine in Chicago. Hey, Maine, thanks for listening to Chicago's Progressive Talk. What's up? I want to come in with a little uh, Malcolm X. You know, he said we've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, and led astray which the American people have for the past 39, almost 40 years with this uh, trickle-down economic uh, economy. And what we have to remember is is its philosophy. This philosophy was less is more. I remember that, man. In other words, they're telling you 5 plus 3 equal 8 is actually more than 5 take away 3 is 2. They convinced American people that less is more. That's why we come with this other insane thing. Corporations are people, my friend. Right. Now, can the corporation vote? Can a co- what, what kind of corporation do that uh, compared to a human? And what is the corporation? The people inside, the paperwork, or the building? Yeah. Man, and we've been tricked this long for the past 39 years, and we now have to get our sanity back and get rid of this trickle-down economic 
I agree with you, Maine. And, you know, we've talked, you and I have talked, and I've talked in general on this program over yeah. the years about how it was the Great Depression that created the space, that moved the Overton window, as it were, that created the space for a conversation about high taxes on great wealth and the ability of people to unionize and taking on big corporations and the economic royalists. And I, in fact, I wrote a book about this, A Crash of 2016, speculating that another crash would be the necessary thing to bring about the kind of conversation that you and I are having right now, Maine, that the things that you're talking about in a really big way in the United States. I think that crash is still coming. I don't think that 2008 has ever been resolved. I think that the entire world right now is hanging on tender hooks. But beyond that, we're looking right now at a political crash, you know, basically Donald Trump taking apart the government and, right. you know, destroying our country. And everybody is starting to get it. And so I think that, you know, the damage that this incompetent, narcissist guy in the White House is doing is creating the space for people like you, Maine, who are talking about this, for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and for others on the progress. Oh, yeah, that Cortez. Oh, man, she's beautiful. Yeah, she is. She is spectacular. You know, she's too young to run for president. If she was over 35, I'd be calling for her to run for president in this cycle. She is really good. And one day, that woman is going to be president of the United States. Maine, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Gail in Seattle. Hey, Gail, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. One of the many things I'm concerned about is the brazen United States support for the apparent coup in Venezuela. Do you think there would be support in Congress for a resolution of non-intervention in Venezuela? I doubt most Americans are paying any attention to it. So, no, I would guess that probably there isn't, although there certainly should be. Or at least there's not enough public, there's not enough public support, there's not enough public pressure that that's probably going to happen. But you do have some good members of Congress, including some Republicans like Justin Amash and others, who are very, very skeptical of U.S. involvement in foreign entanglements, you know, who take seriously George Washington's farewell address and would say no. And I would hope that they prevail. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Gail, thanks for the call. Monique in Seattle, listening on KBCS. Hey, Monique, what's up? Yeah, so I just wanted to poke a little deeper with you on this issue of our elected representatives, particularly presidents who come from wealthy families. And I've heard you talk about how some of them are sort of taught to use their power for good and sort of, you know, benevolence, and then others, like our current president, not so much. We just have to also really look at, I mean, even those folks, the way that they made their money by the spoils of capitalism, they then have to come back into office and try to correct the ills that were created by them earning their money the way that they did. So I just, well, hang on just know. a second, Monique. Yes and no. Joe Kennedy making money you know, by having a fleet of boats that moved bootleg booze across Lake Erie back during Prohibition didn't create a corrupt political system or a corrupt economic system. He exploited it. So to say that, you know, the Kennedy family or even the Rockefeller family created these problems, I think is mixing up causation with correlation. Well, I think they perpetuate, though. I mean, it. you know, I, I guess my point is just I think that we need to really take a careful examination of, of capitalism in this country and as a root cause of so many of the ills that even the people that we can get excited about electing and, you know, want to do good by us and want to improve things and are progressive 
I'm just not convinced, you know, we can get there. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you broadly speaking in your critique of capitalism, and I am not a fan of unregulated capitalism, and I think that, you know, we need to cut capitalism down to about 20% of what it is at the very least, which is pretty radical, you know, an 80% cut in the power of capital in this country. I am a fan of free enterprise, of entrepreneurialism. But to say that somebody has a position that they acquired by virtue of something that wasn't their own hard work or whatever, and therefore they should not be allowed to use that position to do something good is, for me, kind of scary talk. I mean, I'm doing this show because of the benefits of white and male privilege that I had my whole entire life. I was able to build businesses back when, if you looked in the papers for jobs for women, they were all secretaries and teachers. As a man, as a white man, I was able to make a good living to provide for my family, but, you know, led right to this show. So should I not have this show because of white privilege? It's sort of like, you know, should Jack Kennedy have not had been president because of the privilege of wealth that his father brought to his family? I just, I can't go there. I hear you. I think it's just, and I'll just quickly say this, and then because I don't want to belabor the point. For example, when Warren Buffett, you know, decided to give a good portion of his wealth to the Gates Foundation, right. I, mean, I just don't think two white men should have that much power over oh, what happened. I absolutely to the rest agree. Of the world. And, and, and a non Garrettadatus, or however you say his name, has written an absolutely brilliant book about that, about, you know, the philanthropy thing. But if somebody wants yeah. to do good, I mean, it's sort of like Christians right now. The hardcore right wing Christians are saying, you know, we know Trump isn't a Christian, but we'll take whatever he gives us. And I'm inclined to say something similar that on the left. You know, if Ted Kennedy was still around, uh, you know, or even Nelson Rocket, well, not Nelson, you, you get my point. Monique, I'm running out of time here. Thanks a lot for the call. We'll be right back. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com T-H-O-M. For three months free with a one-year package, visit expressvpn.com Tom to learn more. Tim in Milwaukee. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? I love AOC. I think she's got great ideas and is the future of the party. But we can't be talking about a, a 70% tax increase on the wealthy as much as anybody who knows their history knows that it was even higher than that in the 50s and 60s. It's And the 30s and the there. 40s and the 70s and the early of course, 80s. Of course, right. And I know that because of you and, and doing my homework. Most people don't know that. I think it's imperative that we, I don't want to say start so low that it doesn't help us, but how about, as I understand it, investment people only pay 17%. I'd love to see 15%. or any, how, how much is it? 15% is top tax okay. income, well, income tax rate for people like Mitt Romney. Yeah, I'm paying 33. Yeah. Let's get it up to that at least. But I think when you say 
tax the rich at 70 percent. You know, see, you I see 70 percent as a compromise, Tim. We had a 91 percent top income tax rate during World War One and throughout the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, up until the mid 60s. And then it was dropped down to 74 percent, which is still higher than 70 percent in the 60s, the 70s and the 80s. Reagan didn't take that down until 82. I think he got it down to 50 percent. And then in 85 or 86, he got it down to 25 percent. But we I had, can't disagree with I think 70 percent is a moderate is a modest proposal, frankly. And it's also lower than a lot of other countries around the world for the top end of income. One of the most important points, Tim, is that when you look at countries' economic stability over time, what you find is that countries that have a top tax rate over 50% tend not to have severe boom and bust cycles in their economies. Countries that have a top tax rate under 50% suffer terribly severe boom and bust cycles. And that's why we didn't have that kind of cycle in a big way from the 1940s right through the 1980s. And then they started up in a big way in the 80s and 90s when that top tax rate went down because inequality just exploded. Other countries are dealing with this. The United Kingdom and the United States are not. So, Tim, respectfully... You know, I understand what you're saying, but I think that we really need to start there. Tim, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Detroit Johnny in Taylor, Michigan. Hey, Johnny, what's up? Hi, Thomas. Professor, I got some really scary mail the other day. Coalition to Guarantee Social Security, Urgent Call to Action, Trump Campaign Pledge. I will do everything in my power to not touch your Social Security. Have you ever heard about this stuff? It's, it's a citizen. It's called Coalition of Guaranteed Social Security. Right. Yeah, I don't know about that particular group, but I do know that ever since the 70s, bankers, New York bankers, have been funding right-wing groups. Pete Peterson is probably the most famous, the Peterson Foundation or Institute. He himself was a billionaire who made his money on Wall Street. And they're all looking at that trillion dollars, that $2.6 trillion sitting in the Social Security Trust Fund and thinking, you know, if I could take 1% of that or even one-tenth of 1% of that, I'd never have to work again in my life and neither would my great-grandchildren. And so they're has been this effort for decades to say that we need to privatize Social Security. It's going broke. It's a Ponzi scheme, to quote uh, you know Mike Pence and Ted Cruz. And it's a scam. I mean, the only reason they're doing this is because these bankers want this money. And that's the only reason that they're doing it. So beware. And thanks for the heads up. I mean, everybody needs to be careful. Pay very careful attention to the stuff you're getting in the mail. And when somebody comes on and says, oh, I'm so worried about Social Security, check their credentials. Sue in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Hey, Sue, what's up? Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Hey, nice to uh, talk with you. I guess my question is, why are we demonizing Trump whenever historically anybody that's ever been a politician has had a shady background. Kennedy's basically ran a government-funded brothel. Anybody that was associated with the Clintons either died or mysteriously disappeared. Um, oh, come on, so, Sue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing that I think is really interesting, and actually you raise an interesting point, Jack Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, you know, I know some of these folks. I didn't know Jack and Bobby, but I know Bobby's son, Bobby Jr. Joe Kennedy and his wife Rose, think what you want about how they got their money. And I used to be good, very good friends with Gloria Swanson, and she just hated Joe Kennedy. But one of the things that they inculcated in their kids was the sense of noblesse oblige, the French European word for the obligation of nobility to help out, right? You're rich. And because of that, you have a greater burden. You have a greater obligation to help the world, to improve the world than the average person has. And Jack Kennedy believed that, you know, he might have wanted to get it on with a few ladies on the side, but that was the 60s. But Jack Kennedy believed that that was his 
his life's work was to make the world a better place, that that's what he had to commit himself to. Bobby believed that. Teddy believed that. Yes, they had all kinds of personal failings, you know, Chappaquiddick, everything else. It's all real. But they believed that their job was to make the world better. Fred Trump said to his son, Donald, your job is to steal essentially as much as you can. Donald Trump, you know, one of his jobs when he was working for his dad was marking the applications of people who wanted to rent from Fred if they were black people with a C so that they could be rejected, C for colored. I mean, Donald Trump was raised as a narcissist. He was raised, you don't have any obligation to anybody except yourself. It's get all you can. That's all, what it's all about. And he has surrounded himself with people who have the same mentality. This is his cabinet. This is Betsy DeVos. This is Wilbur Ross. This is Rick Perry. This is all these guys at the trough. It's night and day, Sue. I don't see how you can draw any kind of parallel between the two of them. I'm just saying anybody that's ever been in any power situation has also taken liberties. It's not just Trump. The Kennedys, I'm sure, have a more sort of... Sue, I don't care how many women Jack Kennedy slept with. If he's creating an economy and a world that is safe. If he's keeping the world safe you know, from nuclear war, if he is expanding social safety net programs that keep people from falling into poverty and dying, if he's launching programs as he did, you know, vaccination programs, public health programs, the space program for that matter, that transformed America in many ways, all the inventions that came out of it. If he's doing the job of governance, frankly, I don't care who he's sleeping with. I think that your false equivalence is... You know, I'm sorry, Sue, this phony false equivalence that, you know, Fox News tries to promote and right wing hate radio tries to promote. Oh, the Kennedys. It's BS. It is absolute BS. It's a nonsense. It's not real. And, you know, we need to forcefully reject it whenever some, you know, poor deluded soul comes along and say, well, I heard this from Sean Hannity. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Fox News talking points do not work here on this program. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is Bob Nay, this talk media news report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. On the line with us, Congressman Bob Nay, uh, the author of Sideswiped, the definitive insight into how D.C. really works. Bob, welcome back to the program. What's going on in the world today? Well, thank you, Tom. Of course, uh, the shutdown ended temporarily for now, as we all know by now. And uh, I think it was a telling moment when uh, Senator Schumer, who, of course, is the minority leader of the Senate, received more votes than the president's measure. And that should have, of course, told the White House that they had a problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, now they'll be trying to figure out what else on earth they will do as the uh, deadline approaches for the 15th. Now, there is going to be a basically a, a type of Oh, I'll call it a conference committee, House and Senate members from both sides of the aisle. And as I understand it, they're going to take some testimony on border security. And uh, then they will be preparing, basically, for what happens after the 15th, because it just went a couple of weeks, and then they're going to have to do something else. Right. So there'll be some intent. In other words, this is, this is like in anticipation of Trump trying to shut the government down again if he, if he throws another tantrum around his wall? Correct. Wow. And, and so they're doing it's, it's really, Tom, it's basically a sort of unusual move because they have passed the measure over, which he has signed, and then it 
reopens the government temporarily instead of going all the way to October the 1st, what normally happens, it goes to February 15th. And they are, I guess, anticipating, of course, that by the 15th, before that, they have to have some type of bill that Congress does. Right. And so they're going to hold hearings on on border security. Yeah, plus the, that's the normal and legitimate process and a good thing that they're doing it. Bob, my understanding is that if Trump declares a state of national emergency and then tries to move, you know, army money around, for example, to put it down on the wall, that Congress, both the House and the Senate, have the ability with a simple majority vote to declare that the state of emergency no longer exists. Am I right about that? And if so, is there a discussion going on about what to do and, and in that context? Now, there is one problem with it. Of the hundred and, if I'm doing this from memory, Tom, so of the 136 different avenues he potentially could take to acquire money, mm-hmm. where he really needs to acquire money, the 16 different ways they could step in and say, no, you can't do that. There are some other avenues he could use where they technically could still step in, but would have probably not as much authority to do it. Let me they be in Congress. Yeah, yes, they being Congress. Let me give you one example. He can declare an emergency, and then he can begin to take up to $80 million from a Pentagon fund to begin the construction of, quote, the wall, the barrier, or, you know, the paper mache, whatever they're going to do. Yeah. And uh, they and the Congress really, uh, it, it could take some action, but wouldn't have as much legitimacy as if he went another route and began to take monies from other agencies. So, yes, you're right that they, they can step in and, and undo it. There are some tricks up his sleeve he could use, but, it, again, it would be only $80 million, mm-hmm. which is not enough to even probably do the design of the wall. Right. right. So he would have to seek some other sources, and, yes, they could step in and do something. Here's one other problem he has now. If he declares an emergency and the Congress, let's say they don't have the, the votes in the Senate to do anything about it, okay, mm-hmm. he declares an emergency, uh, you know, federal judges in making decisions do read information that they acquire, you know, because obviously people fighting this would bring information. And if he declared that emergency and that night in the Oval Office said the national emergency, why has he waited this amount of time to do it? So, therefore, he's taken away his legitimacy by even waiting to the point that we're speaking right now. If it was an emergency, why didn't he do it five weeks ago, yeah. six weeks ago? There's an old cliche in business, Bob, that uh, as, a, as, a, as a director or a CEO or a manager, it's really important to know the difference between important and urgent. Some things are important, but not urgent. Other things are urgent, but really not all that important. And Trump has been portraying this wall, this border crisis in quotes, as both important and urgent. Whereas I think it is important that we talk about, you know, border security and we talk about immigration in general. But the urgency, I mean, he's just he's just trying to trump this up, pun intended. Yes, and, and so he's hurt himself in actually that move now. It should have been done, you know, five weeks ago. Right. There is one other thing where he's really hurt himself, which I agree with you, that this would probably force the Republicans to actually step in and undo something he's going to do, because he has now offset the entire boost from his point of view, or Republican point of view, from the Trump tax cuts. That's mm-hmm. what he's done. So according to their own projections, the White House's own projections, the government shutdown that just ended has already eroded any impact of tax reform and spending increases that he signed in 2017.
Right. Now, this is coming from the council, uh, the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, Kevin uh, Hassett. And he said himself that the shutdown reduces quarterly annualized economic growth by 0.13 percentage points for every week at last. So kiss your sugar high goodbye. Right. Right. And this is from their side. This isn't coming from a Democratic side. So if he does this again towards February 15th, He's going to have a, a knee-jerk reaction, obviously, from the Republicans who are trying to run on great benefits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bob Day, author of Sideswiped, reporter with Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Tom. Always great talking with you. I always learn something from Bob, too. It's, it's extraordinary. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, for more of the news and events of the day. In the meantime, please... No, not only is there no room for despair here, but we've got to get active. The future of our republic depends in part on you showing up to participate. So please get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 